0: Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith.
1: And I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. We bring political analysis and commentary on events in Alberta and Canadian politics.
0: We discuss policy and look for expert insights into topics relevant to government, policy makers, and issues that face voters. Hi, Deirdre.
1: Hi, Robbie.
0: So our fourth segment in our federal politics and issues this week is titled
1: "Midday Oil."
0: Midday Oil. So, <laughs> the on June 18th, the federal cabinet again re-approved the TMX expansion after the federal court of appeals had quashed their first approval for not having adequately consulted with Indigenous peoples and not adequately considering the impacts upon marine life from the expansion. Mm -hmm. So that was last year, and the federal government undertook new consultations with Indigenous people and also had the NEB, the National Energy Board, reassess the impact on the marine life particularly the residents South Orca whales that mm-hmm. are in the Vancouver harbour and unsurprisingly especially given that the federal government is now the owner of the pipeline they mm-hmm. appro- reapproved approved it. Um, so you know there's been a lot of analysis and a lot of discussion about this but we wanted to take a look at whether or not this is a win or a loss for the different players and stakeholders in this and mm-hmm. take a look at kind of the path forward. So in terms of Alberta, the reaction that you saw, what were your thoughts on that? <laughs>
1: uh, I was actually in shock, Robbie. I cannot say this. I, I can't I can't describe how shocked I was because we have been We've been living it here in Alberta. We've seen the rallies and and they've been constant. The pro-pipeline, I guess, I don't know if it was, I guess it was anti-federal government protests, but they were all pro-pipeline and they showed up all over the place. And mm-hmm. they also, what uh, um, Canada Action held them across the country as well. So this is something that, People have been pushing for and pushing for and pushing for. And the day that Trudeau was scheduled to make that announcement, originally it was supposed to come at one thirty. then they moved it to four thirty and then they moved it back to two o'clock. I believe. Uh, but Don Braid of the Calgary Herald came out with a with a an article that morning that said, "If this is approved, you know, you don't deserve any thanks. And I was like, say what? Really? Like, we've, we've been, people in Alberta have been ranting and, and rallying behind this message of build that pipe. And you're going to say that if it's approved again, no thanks is necessary? I I was just I was I was shocked, Robbie. I was absolutely shocked and I was embarrassed and I figured I honest I was yeah I'm still shocked.
0: <laughs> yeah, that article was I've got mixed feelings about it because I understand the sentiment and the logic behind Braid's argument
1: mm-hmm.
0: and You know, I think back to Notley, and I believe she was flanked by Minister Sohi at the time, the first time that it was approved, and they had shovels and hard hats and vests on, and she so confidently declared that this is a done deal, we're batting a 1,000% in our court cases, we've won everything against BC, and this pipeline is as done as done as
1: done. Mm -hmm. And
0: the next week, I think it was like maybe seven, 10 days later, the Federal Court of Appeal squashed that approval. And so I understand where he's coming from in terms of an approval doesn't do anything to get product to market. And I thought Jason Kenney actually, you know, kind of stated it really eloquently when he had his presser where he said, you know, we're really appreciative of the government, the federal government that is re-approving this, and it's a bit of a Mm no-brainer. But at the end of the day, it doesn't do anything in terms of putting Albertans back to work. It doesn't do anything in terms of addressing the oil differential. It doesn't do anything in terms of growing Alberta's economy or improving market access. So while it's a first step that's very important, this is still subject to federal court challenges and they hadn't even cut the press conference in Ottawa when groups in BC were already saying that they were going to be going back to the federal court and the Supreme court to challenge this reapproval. Mm-hmm. So this thing is far from a done deal. And I understand the pessimism and I understand the hesitancy to not reward somebody or give them an attaboy for doing a good job for something that isn't complete you get the attaboy when the job is complete right
1: I i agree but just can you imagine for one moment what would have happened in alberta if they wouldn't have approved it
0: oh absolutely like
1: <laughs> people would have been in the streets rioting Okay. Well, the
0: separatist <laughs> rhetoric is already very high. I right. think that that would become a very legitimate movement if the pipeline had not been reapproved.
1: Right. Like, and that's and that's kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to balance here is what I believe would have happened had Justin Trudeau come out and said, you know, we just can't do it. Yeah. It would have been. It would have Alberta would have erupted okay <laughs> so i that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to weigh this against was yeah. was the complete lack you know and social media is kind of good for uh kind of weighing some of these things and it was silent there was silence i i just yeah i i don't know yeah
0: the, the other thing that for me is a challenge and gives me mixed feelings about Braid's article is, like it or not, Braid is considered to be kind of a, a thought leader in Alberta politics. And when somebody like that puts a piece out, what it says to the rest of Canada is that screw you if you help us, screw you if you don't. Right, And I think that that message has been echoed, particularly by the Conservative Party. Mm -hmm. Um, But you even saw Rachel Notley in media availability last week saying that Trudeau failed Alberta. And that type of rhetoric isn't typically what you expect to see from somebody on the left. Mm -hmm. And Notley's approach was certainly one of trying to build bridges and allies Mm -hmm. and that, w- that for me, was quite a departure from that approach that she had taken when she was in government. And I feel that at the core of it, it's probably how she truly feels, is that Alberta has been let down by Trudeau. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I look at the Northern Gateway approval being quashed by the Federal Court of Appeals... That gave the federal government a really clear pathway to getting to yes on TMX. Right. And this is where I do fault the Liberals and the federal government is that they didn't do their due diligence in reading and understanding that ruling on Northern Gateway. And had the they first done time. so, right. yeah, had they done so the first time that they approved TMX, they probably would have gotten a definitive and firm yes. But by trying to, and it's the same thing the Conservatives have done, by trying to cut corners and rush uh, approval or a project, at the end of the day, you wind up setting yourself back and having it take longer than it should if it was done thoroughly and properly the first time. So knowing that, for me, when they've pushed back Originally, the reapproval was supposed to be sometime in February or March, and they pushed it back to June. I would rather see it pushed back two or three or five months and have it done really well mm-hmm. so that the federal court, when it's challenged again, says, you know what, we're confident that this has been done properly. It's respected the constitutional obligation to Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And they've already said that consultation does not mean the requirement for consent. It just means that you've put a good faith effort forward to hear their concerns and try and address and mitigate them. Mm -hmm. And so there's two things that I think the Liberals have done really well in the reassessment of this project is they have... Leveraged a former Supreme Court justice, Frank Iacobucci, to Mm -hmm. try and lead this process and make sure that it will withstand scrutiny from the Federal Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court when it gets there. Mm -hmm. And there's two pieces that help there is that he has relationships with those people that currently still sit on the bench from his time there. And it lends an air of credibility and an understanding of what exactly needs to be done in order to meet that constitutional bar, right. And so I'm more confident than I've ever been that this will withstand scrutiny judicially, but there's still a process forward in order to make that happen. So
1: right. And no, I definitely agree. I think uh, I think that was a very key appointment and to me again maybe i'm too optimistic but to me that spoke to their commitment to doing it properly so uh i guess for the left to doing it properly for the right to getting it done so like i i i felt um and i i have to admit of course i'm not partisan enough when it comes to federal politics uh so again, looking at both sides, right? I think that should have been, uh, and I, I I think it was. I think that was, I think that was seen at the time as being a very good move on the federal government's part. And yeah, but still, like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what this means going forward. Jason Kenney sent out a, or sorry, the UCP sent out an email uh, the day of the approval as well, or maybe it was the day after that said, uh, we won't rest, you know, sure. Uh, T T M X approval is a good start, but we won't rest until there are pipelines going in every direction out of Alberta. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and they brought up Northern gateway again. Like they're like, Nope, we want Northern gateway. We want energy East. And I was just like, you know, do you have any new ideas? Why are you harping on these things that have already been, these projects have been abandoned? And sure, you can say, oh, because of regulation, or oh, because of this, oh, because of that. These projects have been abandoned. We need new ideas. And that's what I want to see, is new ideas. Keystone. Yeah, we won't rest until Keystone's done. We have no say. Like our federal government has no say, our provincial government has no say. we're waiting on the u s
0: yeah i I think a part of it is they need to be seen to be doing something, yeah, and mm. it it's more about optics <laughs> than substance
1: but, well, and come on like i I just partisanship. Dr- Drives me because shouldn't everybody be able to see that? <laughs> oh, I
0: totally agree. <laughs> so, would you call this decision a win or a loss for Alberta, or are you kind of indifferent at this point?
1: I call it a win. I call it a very big win. Um, what the way that our provincial government is, uh, you know, their their future plans bother me. Again, like I said, there's nothing new coming out of out of their mouths. Uh, I want to see I want to see other proposals, right? These didn't work. so how do we get something new? Um, i I do think you know i I guess it it was a win, but it was an expected win in in my books.
0: Yeah, was... I'm not prepared to declare it a win yet. Um, I'm going to say, <laughs> are I'm you neutral. waiting for shovels? I'm waiting for shovels, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and you, even if there is shovels, there's no guarantee that that project's not going to be stopped at some point.
1: That's true. Yeah, that's true. And, and the other
0: thing is that the environmentalists and indigenous people have said there's going to be civil disobedience, and I I firmly believe you're going to see police and military before this is done.
1: Yeah, I think so as well, just because, um, you know, as as everyone is learning from everybody else, uh, what they saw in North Dakota with I don't even remember what the
0: the Dakota Access Pipeline.
1: That's the one. What they saw with the opposition to that, it wasn't it wasn't effective. I mean, it was effective optically, but. In the end, it wasn't effective, but you know, I think again, I look at I look at what the federal government has done, uh possibly provincial government or maybe it's industry that has worked to uh, to bring first nations that are affected so when it goes directly through their land, looking to build that buy in and mm-hmm. so again, I kind of see it as i I see it as a positive because I think that I think that the the supreme court or sorry the appeal court overturning the approval, I think that also and maybe more so for industry, but made them realize that they need to work harder to get more people on side, right? That this is just this is just a factor in uh, you know in building across other land. It's yeah. it's not just all about us, right? No,
0: totally. And I think that you saw elements of that with Trudeau's announcement of the reapproval, especially the commentary around they're open to Indigenous people having an equity stake mm-hmm. with no limits. So it could be full equity in the pipeline when it's ready to go. And I think that that's probably the path forward for this project. And when you look at the first TMX line, it was actually nationalized as well and had to be sought through to completion by the federal government. Um, Ironically, liberals as well. Um,
1: I did not know that
0: yeah so that's an interesting piece i don't think a lot of people are aware of um another piece though that a lot of people aren't aware of is people in the lower mainland don't even know that this pipeline already exists it's (laughs) an expansion of the current capacity not a lot of people are aware that it's in their backyard um but i think if you're going to get indigenous people on board this is a way to do two things it's a way to help them with fulfilling their economic potential. And it's a way to get them on side so that there is buy-in and support for these types of projects. The thing that I think is challenging with what you've said though, is that you want to see new ideas and, and other proposals. I think with the new legislation that has come out, um, that being C-48 and C-69, you're not going to see as many private proponents coming forward to do this type of stuff. And I think that the message that I've taken from this whole process is that it's very complex to do a national infrastructure project like this, and the government hasn't made it any easier. And... Mm. I'm not saying there will never be pipelines again, I don't believe that, Mm -hmm. but I do believe that in order to make it happen, you either have to get projects that are driven by Indigenous people and have consent, prior and informed consent before even starting and progressing, Mm -hmm. or you're going to wind up seeing governments have to do this themselves. Um, and kind of nationalize it to get it to completion. Um, and so it, it's not going to become impossible, but it's going to become infinitely harder with the new legislation that's come forth.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I still, I'm not a hundred percent on, on the legislation you know, making some things more difficult for private industry, because in, I don't, I don't know what I was researching, but I was reading about, uh, oh, Exxon. Is it Exxon? Exxon uh, just saw a $53 billion deal fall through in Iran with their uh, drilling because, well, there's, Or no, wait, not in Iran. Maybe they're in Iraq. And it's because of some issues with Iran and and rising tensions in that area. And I was looking at it like they're so they weren't allowed to have any sort of um, uh, dual ownership sort of thing, because that went against the Iraqi government's uh, state ownership. And so I'm looking at there are regulations everywhere. Yep. Like private industry does a lot. It was also an interesting article because apparently they've had to Exxon has had to remove their employees twice because of uh, the last one was a rocket attack. So, I mean, they're willing to, you know, invest. They're willing to follow these rules, which they make less money on, but they're willing to do this. So. Honestly, do I do I think that it's going to be an issue because the rules are slightly different over here? Like I I don't I don't see it.
0: This is one area that I think the Alberta Energy War Room could really have an impact and mm-hmm. that I think just as Albertans we can have an impact when we are on social media or in traditional media talking about how tough it is to do business here. Mhm like what business is going to choose to come and do business here when you've got your political leaders and your business leaders saying this is an awful place to invest and do business and I, <laughs> right? I, put a, I put a tweet out yesterday about this, and you know it becomes a full self fulfilling prophecy if you tell people that this is a really awful place to do business and there's so many barriers, what investor is going to? make a decision to put their dollars here and this is where partisanship trumps doing what's best in our provincial or national interest right yeah and i would like to see the energy war room say hey you know what come develop energy resources in alberta because you don't have to worry about a rocket attack
1: right i mean how simple is that message yeah (laughs)
0: So that's what I'd like to see For sure Uh, Would you call this a win or a loss For environmentalists
1: I would call this I guess I guess I would have to say that It is a bit of a loss Um, In some cases I think That they do have a bit of a zero-sum Game or Sorry, a zero-sum Solution Which is they don't want it at all So Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to matter how many regulations are attached to future development or current development. It's not going to matter because, because there isn't, there isn't a middle ground that can be reached, unfortunately. Um, That's, that's just where the narrative is. That's where the, uh, where the opposition kind of is to it right now. So it's, it's unfortunate, but I guess I have to call it a loss for them.
0: So I've got a mixed answer here. <laughs> and in terms of what the environmentalists want, it's a loss. Absolutely. Because for the majority of them, I would say the vast majority of them, the rhetoric, and you see this particularly with like Sapora Berman, is no pipeline will be acceptable ever. And right. that's, like you said, there's no middle ground. That's where they're positioned. Interestingly, there was an interview with Ed Whittingham, who was the whipping boy of Jason Kenney, for being appointed to the Alberta Energy Regulator. Mm-hmm. And he talked about why he supported the TMX expansion as an environmentalist and why he thought it was important that it go forward. And mm-hmm. he was very pragmatic in his recognition that, yes, we need to get away from oil and gas as uh, the primary source of our energy needs but we're not there yet and so doing this helps us to get to a place where we've got the financial resources to be able to do that Mm -hmm. and allows for that transition to happen. The other piece that I think that isn't considered is development of the oil sands has maybe taken a hit because we don't have this pipeline capacity But it hasn't stopped and it's not going to stop. And what winds up happening is if you don't have a pipeline, you're loading this oil on trains, Mm -hmm. which are infinitely more dirty than a pipeline. And you're loading it on trucks, which are infinitely more dirty than a pipeline. Mm -hmm. And so... For the environmentalists, I don't think that they're really thinking about what the unintended consequences of this absolutist obstructionism is and the very negative impacts that are going to occur because of this opposition to this pipeline. If they think that this is going to shut down the oil sands, they're wrong. It's just going to make it more dirty and more carbon intensive. So that's problematic, I think, and they haven't really thought about it. But on the other front, I will say that part of Trudeau's approach has been to leverage this development into a national carbon price and into more strict environmental regulations and into the tanker moratorium being codified in law. Mm -hmm. And so that reduces other opportunities for energy infrastructure to be built. And so again, I think the environmentalists aren't really seeing the big picture and how they've won a lot of battles. They've lost mm-hmm. one, but overall I think that they're net positive in terms of what their desired outcomes are. So
1: Yeah, I think I guess when you when you put it when you put it that way, I, I don't think that they would agree. The the more hardcore, of course, but uh but in in the grand scheme of things, and, and that was another part of the announcement right all Mm -hmm. uh all profits were going to go into a a canadian transition fund like it's we're doing i think i think it would be nice you know if everybody had that ability to just say okay let me think about this rationally here we're doing what we can right now well some of us you know yeah uh not everyone but but in a in a lot of ways i think I think that they you're right they've had some victories they had more victories uh before Jason Kenney was elected but you know and and I really think that like I understand the alarm, I understand the need for the alarm, but people need to they need to tone it back because they're not winning any friends and allies because if if it's if it's if the world is screwed today if we're doomed then why would we change anything if we're already doomed why would i you know why would i cut off my heat Mm -hmm. right like it's it's they need to they need to scale it back and it's it's possible right when you look at the when you look at the narrative uh, scientists have been kind of trying to sound this alarm since the 30s. They started to see this, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you if you look if you look at how long they've been trying to say, hey, everybody, pay attention to this. Eh, you know, we're we're almost we're almost at a hundred years that they've been talking about this. So, I can understand as well where they're like, you know what? Uh, talking pragmatically hasn't worked.
0: Do you think, because I've looked at and seen some climate, I'll call it alarmism, and I want to preface this with I believe in anthropogenic climate change. (laughs) I do believe humans impact it. I believe it's happening. I believe it's affecting extreme weather events, all that, 100%. Mm but there are statements going back to the 70s saying that we've got 10 years to stop the increase in temperature before we face a catastrophe right. and those same statements are still coming out so do you think that reduces the credibility
1: sometimes Ab- absolutely it's yeah. it's like the um you know how many of the how many how many people have said you know the end of the world uh you know, it was supposed to happen in 2000. It was supposed to happen in uh, 2011, 2012. I think it's every year now. Right. But I mean, you you get this this alarmism that that worked at one point, And the thing is, they did have some like you said, they did have some victories. They've had some impact Um You know, we were were taught about climate change. We were taught about rising oceans in school. And now, many of us are scientists. And by us, that's a royal us, because that is not me. Um, But, you know, like this age group, and they are paying attention. And they are looking at what we can do differently. And so, again, yes, it's, it's maybe been slow, and they'd like to see it move faster, but we can't, you know, we mm-hmm. cannot cut off our energy sources right this second. And I'm sorry, but there's just, when you, when you look at the amount of oil that is being produced, I mean, just in, just in Alberta, uh, oil sands production hit three, three million barrels a day last year. Yeah. Right. Like, um, this oil isn't sitting, you know, piling up, outside of the uh, production sites. It's being moved. So you can't tell me that we can cut it off today.
0: Yeah, no, and demand is still growing. Um, Although it is slowing the rate of growth, it's not declining at this point. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think that you do need to do both. And there needs to be There needs to be an and conversation. It can't be either or. It can't be all renewables and that's the only option. Mm -hmm. And it can't be we're not going to do anything for renewables or clean tech or green energy. It has to be both. And the politicians and the jurisdictions that find a way to thread that needle and do both and have a nuanced conversation and policy direction are going to be the ones that are going to succeed best. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. Who's the biggest loser in this whole situation?
1: <sighs> Who is the biggest loser? Um, if you don't have
0: an answer, I do.
1: <laughs> I think I I would have to say that the biggest loser in this situation may be um, the BC NDP.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And why do you say that?
1: Just because... Optics. Not because I don't, like, I think, honestly, I think that Horgan was in a difficult spot. I think he absolutely would have loved to help Rachel Notley remain in government. But his, his own government is, uh, it's, it's tied to the Greens. It's tied to his opposition to the pipeline. And so actually, I guess the, the biggest loser might be the Greens, it's not necessarily the NDP in BC, mm-hmm. uh, okay. because there, if if it gets pushed through, their leverage is toast.
0: Yeah, I ca- Okay, I, I see that point. I I think the NDP is okay because it's kind of like the Ralph Klein gay marriage argument. Like, we put up a good fight. We did everything we could, but at the end of the day, the law is the law, and so we have to comply with this. Right. I think gives the biggest, them an out. It it gives, it does give them a note. They put forth an mm-hmm. honest effort. Their rhetoric has been consistent. Their actions have been consistent. Um, I think this actually kind of helps them in the long run, but I agree with you. It removes the leverage for the Green Party in BC. Mm-hmm. The people that I think this hurts the most, or the person I think this hurts the most is Trudeau. And... Mm-hmm. He's he's made a decision that's alienated a large part of his base in BC. Yeah. He's got former cabinet ministers Jane Philpott and um, Jody Wilson-Raybould who've spoke out against this approval, including about their participation in the first approval when they were <laughs> in cabinet. Um, and he's not gaining any votes in Alberta from doing this. He is not no. going to elect a single liberal MP in the next election. So he's alienated BC. He's alienated Alberta, both with the same decision, oddly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, <laughs> there's no electoral upside. And so I, I think he's the biggest loser, but I think it also addresses some of the criticism about him being a good leader, because in my view, a good leader will do the right thing even if it's mm-hmm. not what's popular or what benefits them politically
1: mm-hmm. but you know actually it may benefit him somewhat politically in the I guess what did they call it rural BC where there is a lot more support for TMX yep, yep and that's where fair. those jobs are actually going to show up
0: yeah no right. that's fair
1: <laughs> he may he may have um, so he actually may have not lost as many votes as we think, but he is in a sticky situation in B.C. for sure, because of uh, Jagmeet Singh being right in B.C., because of the support for the NDP in B.C. So, I, you know, he, I, I have to agree with you that when he made that decision, it was the decision that, that really needed to be made. I mean, it's a huge part of our economy they yeah. now own it, right? Like there was it, it had to be done. Uh we also need it for things like heat and cars stuff. Yeah. Uh like you know, like it I think it had to be done. And yeah, he looked he looked the uh disapproval in the face and he said, This is what needs to be done. This is how I'm going to try and and balance this decision. And I mean I was I I wrote a thank you blog because no one else was saying it. Yeah. And, you know, not just on behalf of Alberta, which it was uh, largely on behalf of Alberta, but also because thank you for, you know, for doing what you could to respect and listen to the opposition to this. Like it was, that was a, that was a nightmare decision that he had to make knowing that, he would get no thanks from alberta then again i even thought he might get a little bit more than he did um but and and having that opposition in bc but also support but you know that was a that was a tough spot to be in and i think he i think he did as well as he as could have been expected for someone who's trying to balance those those opposing sides right before an election. Yeah. (laughs) It would Um, have behoved him as well had it been approved fully in 2016, because this is just not the time.
0: (laughs) No, totally. Uh, So a couple of things that I've, I've just kind of had some time to process as, as you've talked, I don't think it is actually going to help Trudeau in rural BC because those voters are voters who are likely to go conservative Mm. that support the pipeline anyways. And where they would have disagreements with Trudeau on other things. Um, Mm -hmm. And then thinking short term, I agree with you that this hurts the Green Party in BC. Mm -hmm. I think there's potential in the next provincial election that this helps the Green Party in BC, though, because they can make the case that the provincial NDP wasn't effective enough at stopping the project. And I think that you'll see them actually grow their seat count and use this as a case for why they need to have a larger voice.
1: Ooh, good call. When's their election? It was 2017. So yeah. A couple 2021. Of years away. Yeah. 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 2021. So, okay. Those
0: are my parting thoughts.
1: Okay. Yeah. We took a lot more time on that one than we meant to. That's okay.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode. This has been the Political RD Podcast with Robbie Krieger Smith.
1: And Deirdre Mitchell McLean.
0: Where can people find you, Deirdre?
1: They can find me on Twitter at Mitchell underscore AB.
0: And you can find me online at RKS Alberta. The Political RD podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at PoliticalRnd.
1: Goodbye, Robbie.
0: Goodbye, Deirdre. <laughs>